Well, again, it's good to be worshiping with you uh, today. I'm excited we start a new series today in the book of Acts. It's a series titled The Gospel in Motion, as you can see. Uh, But before we dive into that, I want to rewind just for a moment to something from last week's sermon. I, I was in part of the sermon talking about Mary Magdalene and how Jesus had cast out of her seven demons. And in, in that part of the sermon, I said something like, in modern times, we might have labeled her as being schizophrenic or having a multiple personality disorder. That comment was both poorly stated and underexplained. And I know that it caused pain for at least a couple of people, so I imagine it might have caused pain for others as well. So I want to rewind to that and say very clearly that neither I nor Fifth Church equate or relate mental illness with demon possession. What I was hoping to communicate was that in our Western culture, we tend not to have categories for spiritual realities. So we might inappropriately throw mental health labels at it. You know, an equal error is faith communities who spiritualize things like mental illness in, in a way where we might say, hey, if you just believed more or prayed better, you'd be well. We don't believe that either. You know, as a church, we're pursuing a, a growing culture where people who feel marginalized in society are welcomed here and where all are cherished. And I don't feel that my words of last week contributed to that, so I apologize. Now, a series in Acts. It's going to be a seven-week series. Uh, Acts is a long book, so we're not going to be able to move our way through the entire book of Acts. So we're just going to grab some highlights of the book. If if you're less familiar with the book of Acts, 20% of the book is dedicated to speeches, or what we might call sermons, of both Peter and and Paul. So a lot of direct speeches are recorded. Today we're going to look at the very first sermon after Pentecost, Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension and the pouring out of the Spirit. Uh, there, there were Jews from all, all different nations gathered in Jerusalem for that Pentecost celebration, and they had a, a pretty amazing experience. Suddenly, they heard these followers of Jesus declaring the wonders of God in their own languages, and they had no idea what was happening. This caused quite a stir in the city. Some people thought they were drunk. Clearly, somebody needed to say something. So the apostle Peter stood up and said this. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, 
blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God has raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has powered out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, Brothers, what what should we we do? do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them to save themselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Thank you all. Well, hey, as we start a new book, it's good to just 
have a little orientation so we have a frame through which to look as we kind of encounter the stories of this book of Acts. Uh, so let's do that. A little bit of background on uh, Luke, the writer of the book, on, on the book of Acts itself, and then on scripture in general. So the book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke is the same person, of course, who wrote the gospel of Luke. And it's clear that Luke thought of his two books as a set, not as two standalone kinds of things. And this has led some scholars to refer to his writings as Luke-Acts, Luke-Acts, appropriately so because they very much go together. Luke was not an apostle, so as far as we know, he never met Jesus in person. He himself was not an eyewitness of Jesus' life. Uh, Luke was trained as a medical doctor, as such was a very well-educated person, and he tells us that his writings emerged from his research of the larger story of Jesus and his desire to write an account based on that research. He tells us this directly in his introduction to his gospel. Here's what he wrote. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Luke is saying he's a historian who has carefully investigated everything from the beginning and wrote it down so that not only likely his patron Theophilus, but us too can know the certainty of the claims. So that, that's Luke, the author of the book, then Acts itself. Uh, the the uh, now died to this life British theologian, John Stott, makes the excellent point that it would be inaccurate to say that the gospel of Luke is about Jesus' life and the book of Acts is about the life of the church. It's, it's a little more complex than that. The, the two books are about two different stages of the ministry of Jesus. Luke makes that clear in his introduction to Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Clear implication being that this book that he's writing now is about what Jesus continued to do after his ascension. So the gospel of Luke is about what Jesus began to do. Acts is about what Jesus continued to do through the Holy Spirit. Now that might seem like too fine a point to some of you, but it is important. You know, what the Lord is doing is primary and what anybody else is doing is secondary. That, theologically, that's what we believe. Uh, the, the, the book of Acts traditionally was titled The Acts of the Apostles. One theologian suggested it might better be uh, titled the, the Continuing Acts of Jesus Christ Through the Holy Spirit by the Apostles. Like that's gonna work. <laughs> But the point's there, right? That, that's what Acts is about. Uh, the last, last background point has to do with uh, Scripture and its historical reliability. I, I am continually surprised by the ongoing influence of an assumption about the Bible which calls into question the historical reliability of Scripture. The assumption goes like this. There was, there was a long period of time between when Jesus lived and when the Gospels were actually written down and that during that long period of time, there was a, a continuous, anonymous kind of passage of oral transmission, one person telling another person, and so on, and so on. And, and because that line is so distant, so far removed from the actual eyewitness accounts, 
it, it really carries very little reliability, that what we have in the Gospels really can't be accurate because, of course, we've all played the telephone game, right? And the message you send into this side of the circle oftentimes comes back completely different when it, when it runs all the way around the circle. So therefore, what we have really isn't accurate. Um, this conversation is better suited for a class, but tracing the historical development of that assumption is fascinating. Fascinating. So if you're interested in that, let me know and we'll do a thing. Uh, that assumption about scripture led one 19th century scholar to write this. Acts can only be looked at as intentional deviations from historical truth in the interest of the special tendency which they possess. Simply put, uh, the book of Acts was made up to advance Luke's cause, his purpose. That scholar who proposed that idea, F.C. Bauer, proposed that the book of Acts was almost a complete fabrication. That claim propelled a quest in another guy named Sir William Ramsey. Dr. Ramsey was a PhD in archaeology from Oxford, an avowed atheist, and interestingly, an enthusiastic student of F.C. Bauer. Dr. Ramsey set out to prove Dr. Bauer's thesis about Acts by hoping to disprove the book of Acts archaeologically, through archaeological research. To do that, Dr. Ramsey moved to the Holy Land and started digging. After more than 25 years of archaeological excavation and study, he stunned the entire critical world by announcing that he had become a Christian. He explained that over the years of his research, he had been become incredibly impressed with the accuracy of Luke's writings. He declared Luke's historical record in Acts to be, quote, exact down to the most minute detail. See, over the years, he uncovered hundreds of examples of this is that evidence meaning he'd dig in the ground or go and research other archaeological digs and he'd look at what was there and he would say this and looking at his Bible, this is that. Time and time again, he looked at what had literally been unearthed and said, this is that. This is that. It's, it's kind of like the way investigators, I don't know if you tracked the story this week, uh, the way investigators identified the person who leaked the top secret documents. Did, did, you, did you track this? Evidently, in some of the pictures of the documents, in the margins of those things, you could see a few details of the room in which the pictures were taken. Unfortunately, the same guy had posted social media pictures of himself in his house. And, and investigators looked at the edge of the document and said this, this is that. This drape is that drape. You know, this is that evidence is very powerful. Dr. Ramsey was overwhelmed by that evidence and finally realized that if Luke was so precise historically and archaeologically, he had no sound reason to doubt Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus. Scripture is historically reliable in all that it intends to teach, right? Doesn't intend to tell us everything, but that which it intends to tell us is reliable. 
This is that evidence is very compelling. And, not surprisingly, that's exactly where the Apostle Peter began the first public proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is that. Look at what he did. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This, this is that. Pointing to something in the Bible. This, what you're witnessing right now, is that. See, of the Pentecost event, Peter stands up and says, this, their experience, is that meaning Joel's prophecy of God pouring out his spirit on all people. That claim would have instantly captivated the attention of his Jewish audience. Wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, this guy, this guy is saying that this is that. Is this that? And then Peter went on to proclaim Jesus. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. So gospel point number one, it's a very simple message, this first proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. Gospel point number one, Jesus was accredited by God. According to the Oxford Dictionary, accreditation is the action or process of officially recognizing someone as having a particular status or being particularly qualified uh, or being qualified to perform a particular activity. In Jesus' case, it was both you know, recognition of status and qualification to perform an activity, Lord and Savior. You know, status of Lord, ability to perform the work of Savior. Jesus was officially recognized as both through God, through the miracles and wonders and signs that he performed by God's power. Jesus was accredited by God. Gospel point number two, Jesus was killed by those same Jewish people with the help of wicked men. I take that to mean the Romans. And according to God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. See, in Peter's mind, both of these things are true. God knew this would happen and human agency was involved in his death. Jesus was crucified and died. Jesus was killed, gospel point number two. Gospel point number three, God raised him from the dead. God raised him, Jesus, from the tomb. Jesus was raised from the dead. That this was the content of the first public proclamation of the gospel. Jesus was accredited by God. Jesus was killed. Jesus was raised from the dead. That initial proclamation matches the ongoing proclamation of the gospel because it is what the apostles witnessed. This is the apostolic witness we refer to. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. See, the crux of the eyewitness accounts 
in the New Testament is this. We live in a world where a resurrection has happened. Jesus was raised from the dead. Peter goes on to emphasize the fact that he was an eyewitness of that. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. I mean, it doesn't really get any more straightforward than that. I mean, that, that is the claim. It's just simple. We live in a world where a resurrection has happened. And by the way, that is either true or not. It, it's a toggle switch. There's nothing in between. The claim is either everything or it is nothing. I don't know about you, but that's one of the things I love about the Christian faith. We simply say, if this did not happen, let's bag the whole thing, sell the church building, and go do something more productive on Sunday mornings. The Apostle Paul said it clearly. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. We are, of all people, most to be pitied. If it didn't happen... Oh, those poor Christians, they're so deceived. But for those initial believers, Peter's explanation rang true. And they realized that the claim of resurrection could not be neutral. It was one or the other, and if it happened, it demanded a response. See, those first hearers understood, understood the, the simple gospel message. Jesus was accredited by God. Jesus was killed. Jesus was raised from the dead. And they knew that their response was required, but they had no idea how to respond. So they simply asked. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? They had no idea what to do, but they knew they had to do something. Peter explained the next steps. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Repent and be baptized. Repent simply means a complete change of thinking. Here, a complete change of thinking with regard to Jesus, who he actually was, what he actually did. This change of thinking means embracing the great claim Peter made that day. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Repentance means changing your thinking about Jesus. And Peter said they should be baptized. Now, this was a big deal for Jewish people because they considered baptism to be humiliating and necessary only for Gentile converts to Judaism. So this was a bold response. Not only was an inward change of thinking required, they would be, quote, submitting to the humiliation of baptism and submitting to it in the name of the very person they had previously rejected this would be a clear token of their repentance and of their faith in him. Thanks to John Stott for that idea. See, Jesus himself answered that question of how we ought to respond to the gospel. He, he put it this way, the time has come. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent, change your thinking about Jesus. Embrace what he said about himself. Believe 
simply means align your life to that change of thinking about Jesus. And you don't do that in your own strength, by the way. This means just getting on, on the road that is the process, a lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. We don't snap a finger and suddenly get to where we want to be. Repenting is a change in your thinking. Believing is aligning one's life to that change in thinking. Now, this week I had occasion to interact with a person who thinks my faith in Jesus is utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. At one point in my life, that might have rattled me a little bit, but not, not so much these days. I know what I believe, and more than that, I know exactly why I believe it. Not to say that doubts don't shoot through our minds. They do, get that? But you can know what you believe, and you can know why you believe it. I take the New Testament to be based on the eyewitness testimony of the people who saw this stuff go down. That's what it claims to be. I see no reason to doubt that. The gospel is clear and simple. Jesus was accredited by God. Jesus was killed. Jesus was raised from the dead. Indeed, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Savior. The time has come. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for your grace to us that we see most clearly demonstrated in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Thank you that while we were still in our sin, you came to us in person to meet us where we are, to call us to where you are. And not just heaven when we die, but life with you here and now by your spirit, living in your kingdom and helping live that kingdom into this dark and broken world you so love. Father, help us in all of that. Help us in the places of our doubt. Help us to turn to you in trust. Help us where the alignment of our life with what we believe isn't quite there yet. We submit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, and ask your help. We pray in your name. Amen.